1: Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Sri Shalapa about how the Japanese philosophy of Ikige can be applied to the workplace. Chalapa, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
0: Well, thanks, John. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: It is a pleasure to be with you today. You're joining us from the St. Louis area. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about, I know, one of your favorite topics. It's also something that I'm quite fascinated about. I only know a little bit about it. Uh, And that is the Japanese philosophy of Ikigai. We're going to be talking about it generally, but also then applying it into the workplace and how that philosophy can guide our leadership approach and style, how we interact with our team and those those team and organizational dynamics. As we get started, I wanted to share Shree's bio with everybody. Shree is the president and co-founder of Engagedly. Uh, people strategy platform software that redefines performance appraisals by simplifying and incorporating elements of employee engagement and development into the performance review process. And I'm sure you'll tell us a little bit more about Engagedly here in a little bit, um, but I think that's wonderful. Uh, Just another really great um, HR tech offering that can help us enhance what we're trying to do in the workplace with our team. So I think that's fantastic. Anything else you would like to share with us, Sri, from your background or personal context before we dive on into the conversation for today? Yeah, I mean,
0: the context, obviously, for this conversation is more around leadership and how I like to see leadership uh, from my perspective anyway. Um, But I will add a little bit of color that I have worked across multiple industries. So HR, tech, health tech in the past. Uh, but in parallel, I also run an entertainment and production company. Uh, so we make films and ads and music, uh, record local artists and stuff like that. So, uh, so I run a recording studio as well. So, that, so there are some other aspects in other industries that I have learned uh, from uh, managing people. You know, because the, the demographic of people who work in production and music and artists like that is fundamentally different than, let's say. In HR tech and health tech, uh, but the principles are the same, which is, uh, yep. is which is yep. something I, I talked about in my talking about in my article and working on a book on that too.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and I always tell people anyone who leads people is doing HR work. Uh, HR is about the human dynamic, the interplay between different individuals, and you have the different functional areas of HR. Uh, But really, anyone who supervises from the lowest level supervisor all the way up to senior executive to CEO levels, they're doing HR things as a part of their job each and every day. So it's really important for leaders to learn HR and how to do it better. It's really important for HR people to better understand the business as a whole, the strategy and the leadership as a whole so that they can support them better. Uh, it's, a, it's a give and take. And I think it's, it's something we definitely need to focus on to have more transformational HR within organizations. Well, wonderful introduction. And I'm excited to dive on into the, this concept of Ikige. Can you just briefly share with us the general approach, the general meaning of this philosophy, this idea, and then we can start to pull it apart and, and, and highlight principles from it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there's not a, a, a good English translation of it because it is so contextual to the, to the Japanese Okinawan culture. It's in it's, it's the island of Okinawa. Um, I got fascinated by it when I was reading, reading the book Blue Zones about where people live longer. And one of the seven Blue Zones is in Okinawa, which is, and and then the authors talked about that they practice this uh, philosophy called ikigai or ikigai or however you say it, which is essentially finding meaning and purpose in their work and their life, which is what helps them get up in the morning, get out of bed, you know, go to, tend to their gardens, talk to their neighbors and friends, have this cup of tea, and work on their. Uh, you know, whatever that they do on a daily basis, and it gives them a sense of fulfillment and this level of happiness and joy, I guess is a better word of putting it than than happiness. The small pieces of joy that you get throughout the day by doing those interactions and even just spending time in your uh, garden, pulling weeds or whatever that you do, right? And I think that's the sense, uh, that's the concept of Ikigai in the, in the real life. And what I have obviously you know, look, look at it and say, you know, you spend most of your re- real life at work, at least in America, uh, we do it in the workplace. Why not bring some of those concepts in here and um, see how we can make work life better?
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you distinguish between happiness and joy, uh, finding meaning and fulfillment, like these are all related, but separate concepts. Yeah. And nobody's happy all the time. Uh, in In fact, I think that's one surefire way to be unhappy <laughs> is if you have this expectation that you're always going to be happy because that's just not how our minds work. That's not how human interaction works. That's not how the human condition is at all. And, and really? just the way our emotions are like we ha- we all have ups and downs. We have gives and takes, we have good days, bad days. Like that's, that's completely normal. Anyone who always has a smile on their face and always is acting like they're, they're bubbly and happy they're they're experiencing pain and trauma and disappointment and frustration too. They're just putting on a facade, right? right. And, and so, really right? exactly. And so, so we just need to learn to embrace the fact that yeah, we're not always going to be happy. We're not always going to love what we're doing. That's okay. But what we can do is find meaning, fulfillment. We can find you know have passion, purpose, and we can seek joy overall joy in our lives uh, and so I think that's a fascinating aspect of this philosophy and again as you talk about the Okinawan people um, something that they've been able to tap into uh, to just find that consistency that sustainability in their meaning and purpose and fulfillment in their life that leads to longevity better mental health better, better physical health um, social interactions all of that Absolutely. Absolutely. I
0: mean, it's a similar concept, uh, even in the Greek islands, you know, there was one of the blue zones is in, is in Greece. And their food. I mean, I mean, they eat a lot of cheese and meat. It's not like they're necessarily eating always very healthy. It's Mediterranean diet, granted, but a lot of goat, red meat, um, you know, they drink a lot of wine. And even Sardinia in Italy is one of the blue zones. So if you look at it, there are a lot of other elements than what you would normally decipher from just reading the scientific journals of diet and exercise you know these guys are not working out every day or are eating your you know calorie restrictive diet or anything like that so there's more to it obviously and the same thing can be applied to workplace too you know so
1: yeah exactly and like you said we spend the vast majority of our life at work Um, now that varies across cultures and across societies and some people work more than others and in the U.S. we tend to work a lot we don't take enough vacation time or time off Our families. We work longer hours on average. um, All of that, but you know, even in other countries where maybe they don't work as long of hours, um, we still just spend a huge amount of our waking hours at work, working with other people. And so, yeah, if we're trying to find meaning, fulfillment, purpose, joy in our life, of course we're going to have to find that at work. Otherwise, we're going to be left wanting. And so then the question becomes: Well, how do we transform the workplace into a place that can provide that? You know, for me as a leader, for my people, um, so that they can feel that, and of course, then it naturally becomes a, a, a culture and an environment that attracts great people. That helps you retain great people. Everything that goes into engagement, employee engagement, and satisfaction is built upon these components that we're talking about. And so, let's let's start to talk through how we can start to design work in a way that can align with Ikigai philosophy, so that people can. Uh, you know, wake up every day, excited to go to work. That doesn't mean that they're going to love everything they're doing all the time because nobody does, but that they can generally feel that connection to their work. They can feel excited to go uh, spend a significant amount of time, their life in the workplace.
0: Yeah. um, So I think it starts at the time of hiring, to be honest. I mean, I was reading the statistics the other day that like 60% or 70% of the people who get hired don't have a clear idea of what their job is going to be after they get hired. And it changes too. So so when you're hiring somebody, you might be hiring them for a specific role or a specific job. and And maybe that's Accurate in the first few months, but with the changing conditions, changing market dynamic, it'll, it's going to veer off and it's going to change. It's going to evolve over a course of time. So really, you need to be, be focused on how you, what your hiring practices and your approaches to begin with, and then can can your culture adapt as the market changes to that. So I'll, so I'll briefly explain the ikigai model from workplace perspective uh, without you know getting into too many details. So the, I look at it as three different circles that, that overlaps. So if you look at the Venn diagram, so visualizing it for people on the audio, there's one circle, which is what an employee loves and enjoys doing, right? The other circle, second circle, is what an employee or the person is really good at. And they may or may not be the same, <laughs> you know? Some people are really good at math, but maybe they enjoy playing music, you know, for example the third circle is what the organization or the management really values right the what I call the ikigai blue zone is when all three circles overlap in the center right so by the way that area can be bigger or smaller so it's not necessarily to scale so you're looking at a try to find work with your work as a manager, as a leader, as in your organization, working with people to position them as close to or as much of their work as possible in that blue zone where the employee is good at what they do, they actually enjoy that work, and it provides meaning because it adds value to the organization's goals and purpose. So obviously, you need to have a culture where organization goals and purposes are transparent, uh, there's accountability, there's Alignment and things of this nature. So there's, there's some changes organizations have to be at as well. A lot of times people do things and they don't even know why they're doing it because, because the manager asked them to, but they have no idea how it's actually moving the needle uh, at, the, at the org level. So that's the, the blue zone. The red zones are when there's no overlap. So you have a lot of things of value in an organization, but nobody is either good at it or enjoys doing it. So you can't you don't have anybody really doing it. So you have people working who in that zone who are not, neither good at it, nor enjoy doing it. Recipe for disaster. People will quit. You know, in, in, uh, uh, bad outcomes for the organization. Then there's the other place where em- employees is really good at something, but they really don't enjoy it, and has no organizational value. Right? For that, for example, if somebody, let's say I'm in a I'm in a technology company, and somebody really enjoys uh, doing graphic design, but there is no value for that technology company. I'm not I'm not saying there isn't, but maybe in this specific case there isn't. Um, and there is, and that person is maybe not even that good at it. So, so I can, even if I could find a value, there's nothing that an employee can contribute, but, but they really enjoy doing it. So that's a red zone. So those, any, any of the zones where there's absolutely zero overlap is a red zone. Try to avoid red zones at all costs if possible, or at least minimize the amount of work in the red zone for an employee. The, where there's two circles overlapping those are what I call a purple zone where there's at least either value or there's something they're good at and they're enjoying, maybe they not as much value. And they're all not all purple zones are equal. So you obviously need to figure out which purple zone is better than the others um, and try to move as close to blue zone as possible. 100% of the work, like you said, will never be in the blue zone, right? Every day we have to get up, brush our teeth, you know, shave, uh, wear our clothes, do the laundry on the weekends. There are a lot of red zone activities there that's fine. But if your majority of your time is being spent in the blue zone or the purple zone, you're in a good spot, good, good spot. So that's the way I think if a leadership and the management thinks about, you know, when I'm working with Sam or Susie or whoever that is, yeah. is whether how much of their work is in the blue zone, how much of it is in the purple zone and how much of it is in the red zone and how do I optimize that? You know, and how do I optimize for that employee skills and interests and what my organization needs? and maybe then try to shift some that red zone work to someone else who might have that work in their blue zone, right? right so right. that's where what I would call the talent optimization comes in where you're really trying to find the blue zone. So I don't think organizations really understand that. Uh, many many. Ways. Yeah. The managers don't really ask their employees, what are you, what do you really enjoy, yeah. you know? <laughs> they infer that just because, you know, they might know them better, but in the remote environment, it's even harder.
1: Yeah, well, there's a lot there um, that I want to drill down on. And, and just an example, real quick, a personal example for my own life. Uh, longtime listeners of the podcast know, you know, as an undergrad student, I changed majors a bunch of times. And I thought I had finally landed on accounting. I was at a really good school with a really good, you know, top five program in the country. Accounting is a good, stable career. I'm pretty much guaranteed if I graduate from this program at this school, I'm going to be set on a really nice trajectory for a successful career. Right. And I'm always going to make a good wage um, and and whatnot. And I was good at it. I was really good at it. Um, The problem was I hated it. So the more I got into it, the more I realized I actually didn't like it. I couldn't imagine myself doing that every day, all day. And so eventually I switched and I, and it kind of turned people's heads because I switched from accounting to sociology And, and people are like, what are you doing? No one, you can't get a job with sociology. And, and of course, eventually, you know, I get a PhD and I'm a professor and I do consulting work and, you know, I've been just fine, but, but you're right. You know, like they were right. If, if I only got a a bachelor's in sociology, chances are, you know, most people who, who don't go on to grad school end up just working, you know, in an entry-level job in a business. Right. Right. And so, you know, it, it it was from a career perspective, kind of a silly move. But because it was something that aligned more with my passions, my interests, it was something I was able to lean into, really devote myself to, I was able to make it into a successful career, right? And if I would have done accounting, I probably wouldn't have. I I probably would have been miserable. And if I'm miserable, I'm probably not going to work as well. I'm not going to accomplish as much. Now, that's not to say that there aren't other people that love accounting. And I'm glad there are. I'm glad there are great accountants out there that want to do that work, that are good at it. And I'm glad that it's not me. Uh, And so just, again, that alignment piece, that calibration um, piece is is super important. The other thing I wanted to ask, so your description of the the Venn diagrams and the blue zone, the red zone, the purple, all makes perfect sense to me. And I suspect most listeners are like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But what would you say to either the listener or just, you know, the random executive who says, who cares? Like, why are we chasing our tail around this thing called employee engagement? It's work. You show up to work, I pay you, do the work. So I don't care if you're in the red zone, just do the work, stop complaining and get it done. What would you say to people who kind of have that kind of mentality or philosophy?
0: Yeah, I mean, you can go down the Kmart route or the Starbucks route. It's really up to you. (laughs) I mean, if you want to go down the Kmart route, I think that's a really good recipe for that because you want your business to be successful. You know, and the the whole aspect of employee engagement, the reason it's important is because that's where you get the discretionary effort. It's not what's in the bulleted list of the job description where the person can see the gaps and say, hey, I see that we need to be doing this instead, or this more... And it, even though it's not in my job description, I'm going to pick up the ball and run with it. Y- if you want employees like that, that approach is not going to work, right? And I think that's why you need to care. You need to care because of it is, it is profitable for the organization in the long run, uh, even maybe even in the short run, right? You want people to do their best work in, and look for areas where you may not be looking because you're busy managing other things so that you get a, a, a much better organization uh, and a better, much better outcome overall. Um, the one thing I wanted to add to your story, which, which I wanted to you know, also makes me, makes me realize that, is that these zones are not immutable, right? So you may have gotten into sociology, even if you were not good at it because you enjoyed it, you figured out a way to move from that circle to move to this purple circle and eventually to a blue, blue zone, right? Because if you love something and enjoy something that much, you can, over time, get better at it and get good, get good at it. And in fact, most people do if they spend enough time and do deliberate practice on, in that area, right? So, um, so th- these zones are completely fungible, and that's where good leadership and good management can come into play to understand how do you move people, even though they may not be in a certain zone right now, but they could move to a more of a purple or, or a blue zone.
1: Yeah. So it gets back to job design and it gets back to a a fundamental principle of good leadership is just knowing your people. Uh, You already alluded to it earlier in the episode, and that is that dynamics in the market shift, right? So you hire somebody who has a particular skill set, competencies, and capabilities to help you meet a particular need at this moment in time. Is that going to stay stagnant and, and stationary? Probably not. In most cases, there's going to be shift and in, in what you're going to need people to do. And sometimes that means people end up leaving to go to a different job because it, even if they were in alignment at one point, it gets out of alignment um, for other people. It's about reskilling and upskilling and, and just trying new things, you know, but, but in all of this, and it's one of the really hard jobs of leadership is that you have to create a culture and a dynamic where there, you foster trust with your people so that you can have open communication and dialogue where they can share, where they're coming from with their work, without fear of, you know, being punished for just being honest about, you know, I really don't like doing this thing. I'm not particularly good at it. Um, can, is there a way we can shift, you know, what I'm doing? And and some most people aren't going to say that to you. So you have to be able to create an environment where people are more likely to to speak up. Um, but also, you have to know your people well enough that you can see it, even if they're not saying it, and that you can work in a, in a real-time way to design work that you can get the best out of your people. And, you know, my facetious question earlier about why should we even care about engagement? I mean, the research is so crystal clear on this. There's so much research that shows the the positive organizational bottom line outcomes for highly engaged workers in our workforce. Um, There's a, a clear human case too, as is, Evident just from our conversation today about Ikige, you find more meaning, purpose, value, fulfillment, all of that. And that brings joy and and just uh, improves the lives of people. So the human case is clear. The business case is equally clear. You get better work. You get better stuff. You get better customer interactions. You get more innovation. You get more creativity. All of that is what organizations want and need. And when people aren't engaged, when they're just kind of going through the motions of their day, mistakes happen at a higher level um, just kind of lackluster, crummy work happens, negative consumer and customer interactions happen. All of that stuff happens. People aren't committed uh, to their work. They're not loyal. Um, they're going to spend half their day just looking at jobs rather than doing their actual work. You know, so if if you have people stuck doing stuff that they hate, or they're not good at, uh, you know, just saying, suck it up, stop complaining, do your work. I mean, that's, it's a really stupid way to approach, that problem. And it speaks to a higher level strategic leadership gap, an issue within that organization, right? So that's why we have to care about this. It's not just warm, fluffy, warm, fuzzy, fluffy stuff. This is like actual bottom line impact. And unfortunately, what I see in many organizations, probably most organizations, is that even if they understand it conceptually, and they give lip service to the importance of this, the implementation isn't always as effective. And then there's plenty of organizations that don't even give lip service to it. They just don't even um, talk about it as a priority. Uh, and so we need to do better at, at creating environments where our people can thrive at work that will drive better outcomes for everyone. It'll make you look better as a leader because your team is producing. It'll make your people be um, more productive. They, they will have better career Prospects because they are learning and growing and, 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 and producing. Uh, it's, it's a win 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 all the way around.
0: It totally is. And I think what is important, however, is that first of all, it needs to be an organizational directive or organizational culture that needs to support it because then it permeates down. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think what also one of the things that happens a lot is that we get a lot of people promoted to managers just because they were individual contributors. And then they realize this. Maybe they may not say it, but they really realize that they really suck at managing people, or they don't want to have the difficult conversations with their employees. Uh, one of the first things, for example, that a manager really struggles with is letting an employee go. I've noticed that time and time again. It's like almost like a line of passage. You are, you are, you have, you may have a title of manager, but you are not a true. You have not really earned it until you have to have, let, let an employee go. You know that's the hardest conversation. It's, it's, and it's, it's harder because they, have, they self-doubt whether it was something I did wrong, and maybe you did do something wrong. But it's the same concept of, did, did I do everything I could to make sure that people are working in my blue zones or purple zones? And if they had that kind of you know, training or if they had that kind of uh, a mindset or in the culture, maybe then they can make better decisions. You know? like I gave everything I could to this organization, to this team in terms of structuring the teams, instructing the people, the right mm-hmm. skill sets, and I just could not find, this employee does not fit anywhere in my blue or purple zone. That employee is operating in the red zone, and I don't see a path to get that person to the blue zone. That's when, you know, it becomes, it's an easier conversation, at least from a manager's perspective, because they realize that there is no other path but to do that. And, and the, so the, the first time managers, and a lot of poor managers do it, they will tolerate a red employee for a long time, which affects the morale of the other people who are in the blue zone and the purple zones. And then they realize that one person is getting away with, uh, you know, operating the red zone. But and they're not being adequately you know, recognized or rewarded for that. So that's another issue to, to why you really want people to be operating in a similar zone, because that could really affect the overall morale of your team as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Shri. this has just been a fascinating conversation. We've only scratched the surface. There's so much more we could talk about here, but thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your insights with me and the listeners today. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can connect with you and find out more about your work and then give us a final word on the topic for today
0: yeah so uh, they can connect with me on linkedin shrikhan chalapa or street chalapa uh, i'm also at uh, on twitter at at uh, my company is engagedly it's engaged engaged so we provide tools to help people get into those blue zones um, but the the final thought i would say is is that you will never necessarily get everybody in your organization including yourself to operate in the blue zone Try to optimize for the zones, right? Try to find out how do you get people to play in the right roles. And sports does a great job, right? You're in a team, you figure out which roles you're really good at, which roles you really enjoy, and then optimize your entire team at an org level, at the department level, so that you have the best team to to play to win.
1: Well said, well said. Thank you, Sri. It's been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Sri and his team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Do you enjoy the human capital innovations podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support.